ever found yourself overwhelmed? You ever found yourself saying, that's it, I give up, I quit, I don't know how to do this. Maybe along with those feelings are some anger, maybe some slight irritation, maybe a little shame. Anyone else feel shame when things don't go the way they want it to? Like, man, I'm, what's wrong with me because life is happening like this? Well, if you have felt that or said that, welcome. You're in good company here. And I encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14, 15, to be precise. No one will ever mistake me for being a famous handyman. Not even close. Uh, For a little context, my brother, my older brother, who has a double degree in architecture and building construction management, literally designed and built my parents a house. He designed it and built it for them. And there is a lot of Ikea furniture that I struggle with. (laughs) So you can tell where the genes went in our family. So around the house, I'm not Bob Vila, I'm not Chip and Joanna Gaines, I'm not even Bob the Builder or Handy Manny, depending on your generation of famous fixer-uppers. I'm I'm just not that skilled, but I do give it a go. So this spring, I was standing in my kids' bathroom facing their white bathtub that had become the dreaded problem. At first, it was, Dad, the shower drains a little slow, and Drano didn't fix it. So a few days later, it's, Dad, there's like two inches of standing water in the bathtub, which after a few days is disgusting. So on my next day off, I grabbed my toolbox and I went to work. At my old house, drain issues were pretty easy. Uh, You just simply screwed off the drain stopper and you removed whatever gag reflex mess was there and your drain was fixed. So onto my new bathtub battle this spring. On that Monday, I maybe, maybe overestimated my opponent and I cleaned up all the standing water and wiped it down. I climbed in the bathtub and I gave the, the drain stopper a healthy turn. Nothing. Uh, so then I grabbed my weapon, <laughs> some pliers. And, and, I, and I did what every person does when something's a little stuck. Just try harder, right? Just get a little bit, little bit more. And I just was cranking on it. And the harder I cranked on it, the less it moved. And the more mad I got and the more sweaty I got and the more, again, looking over my shoulder. Is anyone watching me do this? Because there's nothing worse than someone watching you while you don't know how to fix simple things. And then if a little effort doesn't work, you just keep trying and keep going. More muscle, more elbow grease. I was afraid I was going to snap that drain right off. So I had all my options. I'm thinking, do I keep trying? Do I try harder? Do I give up? Cross my mind. Do I lower the bar? Like, kids, standing water's no big deal. You you have it far better than most people in the world. Do I ask for help? Enter YouTube. It's amazing what a little help will give you. 
right? It's, it's amazing what's on that website. And in a short little video, some three minutes long, I heard the voice of wisdom come from my phone. And the voice on the YouTube video told me that there are some drain stoppers that have little screws at the base. <laughs> had no idea. Who knew? All I had to do was to find a little tiny screwdriver and find a little tiny screw and unscrew it, and it just boop, popped right off. And I'll spare you the gruesome details of what I found in the drain, though I do have pictures to prove it. <laughs> but that's all it took, right? It wasn't a matter of more muscle. It wasn't just try harder. It wasn't lower the bar. It was not give up. It was not berate myself for being a lousy fix-it person around the house. I just needed some outside help. I needed some help from outside myself to figure it out. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us face life, or maybe even the spiritual life, the God life, with some similar mentalities. Meaning sometimes when things just don't work in life, we, we get frustrated and we get mad and we get angry or we want to just give up. Or we feel like we have to then double down and try harder. Some of us get embarrassed and we feel the shame of why isn't this working. Sometimes we want to lower the bar and settle for mediocrity or brokenness. We start pointing fingers to blame other people. Here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about the kingdom of heaven. There's this tension. Jesus never lowers the bar, but instead what he does is he raises his offer to help us. And both of those are true. That's exactly what he talks about in John chapter 14. The Great Invitation is this series that we've been in now for a little while this fall. And the great invitation of the God life, the great invitation of the with God life, comes with a helper. And your life actually can't be lived all by yourself. You actually can't do all that you want to do in life or with God on your own. Do you realize that God knows that? Do you realize God's stance toward you is not just to berate you for why you haven't been able to figure out how to do life or faith or a journey with him? Again, he doesn't lower the bar, but instead he raises his offer to help. Listen to this passage from John 14. It's a bit extended, so it's a little longer. Um, but I, I want to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back through it. But in it, he weaves together both the fact that the bar is not lowered in what God wants for us, but also the fact that he raises his offer to help us navigate this thing. Here's John 14, 15. Again, this is Jesus speaking. This is in the upper room. These are the last, some of the last words Jesus shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Here's what he says. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Get a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. It's a long passage. But I hope you can begin to see how Jesus, again, doesn't lower the bar of his standards or expectations, but instead offers a helper. Let me talk about the bar first of all. I'm going to call it the bar of love. Maybe I could put it this way. Following Jesus, my friends, is not the way of escapism. Following Jesus is not the way of avoidance. Following Jesus is not the way of laziness. Christianity at its core is not about discounting how we engage life here and now in hopes of, well, we're just living for eternity. Yes, we live for eternity, but the way of Jesus has a lot to say about today and now and here. It's not escapism or avoidance or laziness or to simply throw our hands up in despair. And if we take the words of Jesus seriously here, dare I say, Jesus commands us, because again, here's a command. Jesus commands us to follow an ethic of love. And he does it in this passage repeatedly. Maybe I lost you there. I'm going to try and put this as simply as I can. Jesus expects those who love him to obey his word. Jesus expects those who love him to keep his commandments. That, that love, the love of God, leads to us living life His way. Yes, we live by faith. Yes, we are a people of grace. Yes, Jesus also expects obedient love to flow that we would actually do and keep His word. There's no hint of Him saying, hey, I love you, I'm going to forgive you, so who cares how you live? You're just going to heaven someday. That's not what he says. I'm going to pull these out just so you see these here. Because he repeats himself four times. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hmm, I wonder what he means there. Um, Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
What does he mean? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Like Jesus is really clear. This is really black and white from the lips of Jesus. This is not about earning God's love, earning God's favor. This is not about legalism, but as recipients of divine grace, as recipients of God's amazing love, the natural outflow that God expects from His people is that His love would then flow through us and that we would actually keep His words. Right In the Great Commission, Jesus says to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe or do all that I have commanded you. Some of us have equated loving God with an emotion. And I love emotions. I love to feel me a good feel. Some of us have equated loving God with just right beliefs and right doctrine, as long as I have the the theological categories stacked up just right. Some have equated loving God with singing songs or saying words of affection to God or raising hands in praise, and none of those are bad or wrong. They all can have a part of the equation. But when Jesus is talking here about those that love him, he says, if you love me, you will do what I say. You will keep my commandments. You will obey my word. Not just study his words, not just memorize his words, not just analyze his words, but he expects us to obey them, to keep them, to live them. Now again, some in studying this text, like, well then what is the commandments? What are the commandments of Jesus? I've seen they try and compile the list of all the commands of Jesus. And if you want to make the list, you can. Um, In some ways, I'm maybe a bit more pragmatic. We're reading here in John 14. If you continue on into John 15, Jesus repeats himself and he clarifies. John 15, 10, next chapter, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 12, he says, This is my commandment. Like, okay, what's the commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. If you want to get like really simple... Jesus says, here's my word. Here's my commandment. This is what I want you to keep. This is what I want you to obey. If you love me, this is what you're going to do. Love one another as I have loved you. This is why I refer to it as the bar of love, because Jesus doesn't lower this thing. He calls us to his standard of love. Elsewhere, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Elsewhere, he says, love your enemies. And here he says, love one another as I have loved you. I don't think the challenge is a lack of knowing what Jesus is asking. I think the challenge is in the doing of it. Because again, if we're just candid with each other, this is hard, right? Loving one another as Jesus has loved us is stinking hard. Loving your siblings, regardless of your age, whether you're a little kid with your elementary school siblings, junior high, middle school siblings, high school siblings, adult siblings, 
Loving those with different political preferences can be challenging. Even now, having a conversation with different political perspectives seems to be just filled with landmines. Loving the stranger. Loving your next-door neighbor. Loving the poor. Man, this week, I failed in loving as Jesus has loved me. I was, I was coming out of my office at First Baptist, and I popped the door open, and I literally, I hit a guy. He was sleeping. Out, it was not on purpose, but he was sleeping outside of the door of the office at First Baptist, and I hit him with the door. And I was busy. I was late to get somewhere. And I apologized for hitting him, but I literally was like, are you okay? Sorry I hit you. And I took off. And it was not more than a few hours later, I stopped and like, do you know what I just did? I just reenacted the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like I literally just enacted the parable of the Good Samaritan because I was so busy trying to get to my next thing that I didn't have time to check in on this guy. And Jesus calls us to obedient love, that our lives would be marked by extravagant love. And as much as we were like, well, maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe I can explain it away, or maybe if I memorize it, it'll be good. Jesus does not lower that bar. And he calls for his people to be a loving people, to love others as he has loved us. And maybe you hear that and you're like, oh man, I just, again, back to, I don't know how to do that. I fail. I am horrible at this. I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. May you also then hear the other half of what Jesus talks about here in John 14 then. And he doesn't lower the bar. He keeps calling us to have an ethic of obedient love for others. And then in the same breath, in the same flow of thought, Jesus says, and I know you're going to do this on your own. I'm sending you some help. I'm sending you the helper. So in the same way that I, that I laid out maybe some of the repetition of the call to love, here's just some of the repetition around the helper. Verse 16, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. And here's the promise. He will then be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. It's Jesus' promise to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Like this, this chapter, this section is dripping with Holy Spirit promises. This is such good news. This is an amazing offer from God to us. This is a great invitation that there is a helper available to us. In our sin and brokenness, in our failure to love as Jesus loves us, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the helper. One of the greatest lies that I know I often believe 
is that if there's going to be anything good that happens, it's on me to do it. And, and I begin to feel like I'm all alone. No one else is going to help me. No one else is going to make this happen. And, and you know what that is? That's, that's orphan mentality. That's an orphan thought process. It's like, it's, it's all on you. You've got to learn on your own, survive on your own, provide on your own, do everything on your own. And Jesus here is out to squash orphan thinking in our spiritual life. Because Jesus has been talking about this invitation that we would know God, that we would have intimacy with God, that we get to share in the divine dance of Father, Son, and now Holy Spirit. And Jesus reveals how this is actually going to happen, the way in which the God life gets born in us, the way in which divine love flows through us is through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus says, I'm going to go back to the Father, but don't worry, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because if I go to the Father, then I can send the Helper. Verse 16, he says, there'll be this this Helper, another Helper. In the original language in the Greek, there's, there's two words for another. One another is another of a different kind, and one word is another of the same kind. And the word that he uses here is the another of the same kind. So he says, I'm going to send to you another helper, not this radically different kind of helper, but another helper that's of the same kind, that just as they have experienced Jesus as their advocate, as their helper, as the one who came alongside them, they knew what that was like. They experienced the life and ministry of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to send to you the same kind of help in a different form. Another helper is coming, and it's the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was promising not to leave his people as orphans. That you as a follower of Jesus tonight, you're not left as an orphan. You're not left to have to do it all on your own. You're not left to have to figure it out on your own, or in your own strength, or in your own way. I've, I've put this up a few times in the last month about a theory of change. A lot of us has come to think about the way that we change is get more information with a little inspiration, pump us up, and then we have to add a lot of willpower. And if I can just somehow, again, back to my tub, if I can just crank a little harder, and some of us are just cranking a little harder in our life, if I can just uh, a little bit more and white knuckle my faith a little bit more, This idea of change is missing the change agent who is the Holy Spirit, the helper sent from heaven in your life. Now, information has a place, and it's great to have inspiration, and you are going to have to play a part in this, but you're not alone. God has given his Holy Spirit to us to be the other helper. It's not just try harder, crank stronger, pump higher, learn greater. The great invitation of the with God life involves a helper, the Holy Spirit. And I could try a million different ways to explain the Holy Spirit to you. In Genesis, next slide, in Genesis 1, we see him referred to as the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness. In Isaiah 11, it's the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Luke 11, the Holy Spirit's called the good gift of the Father. Luke can't imagine that there's any better gift that could be given than the Holy Spirit. 
Luke 24, he's called the promise of the Father. John 14, we just read, he's called the helper, which another way you could translate that is the comforter or the paraclete, the one who comes and calls alongside of us. As, as Jesus talks about the Spirit that is to come, he talks about the Spirit in all these glowing ways. It says that he's a personal Spirit. It's not just the Force. We're not just Star Wars, people with the Force being with you. There's a personal Spirit called the Holy Spirit. And he is a revealing Spirit. He's the, Jesus says the Spirit of truth. And he teaches and reveals and shows what is true. That he is a permanent spirit, not temporary, because Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell in you forever. Indwelling spirit in you, not just with you or around you. A peace-giving spirit, not as the world gives peace, but as God gives peace. That we get the peace of God through the spirit, not a spirit of fear. Jesus is so excited that he gets to leave and go to the Father. And it's not just because he wants to escape, but he's so excited to go to the Father because he knows that when he goes to the Father, that the Father will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that then gets poured out at Pentecost upon the church. Who else is this Spirit? Again, so many ways to describe the activity of the Spirit. I, I put this together, I think, a few years ago. This is the Holy Spirit from A to Z. The Holy Spirit assures us that we belong to God. The Spirit bears fruit in us, the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He comforts us. He disciples us. He empowers us with heavenly power. He sets us free. He gifts us and gives gifts through us. He heals us. He intercedes for us right now joins us to the Father. He keeps us safe. He loves us. He marks us distinctly as belonging to God. He never leaves us. He organizes us for mission. He prompts us. He quenches fear in us. He is the cause of rebirth in us. He speaks to us, teaches us, uncovers sin in us, validates us, weaponizes us for war, x-rays sin in us, like Ananias and Sapphira, yields victory for us and zeroes us in on Jesus. Like, there's not an area of your life that the Holy Spirit is not at work. His work is so multi-dimensional, multi-faceted. Our very life and existence today has been shaped by, upheld by, formed by the Holy Spirit of God in your life. But again, I could can, I can just keep throwing verses at you. <laughs> I could keep giving descriptions of the Holy Spirit to you. But in some ways, there's, there's more. And I think I've referenced this person before, but it reminds me, it reminds me of Kiki Vandeway, uh, who I've maybe shared before. He's one of my childhood sports idols. So I grew up in the Portland-Vancouver area, and as a kid, one of my idols was Kiki Vandeway. He's a player for the Portland Trailblazers in the 80s. And some might say that I was a little fanatical about being a Blazer fan back then, at times still today. One of my favorite players was Kiki Vandeway. You maybe have never heard about him, but especially growing up as a fan with his trading cards, I knew everything about Kiki Vandeway. His full name is Ernest Maurice Vandeway III. 
He was six foot eight, 220 pounds. His dad played in the NBA. His mom was the 1952 Miss America winner. He played at UCLA, outstanding shooter, two-time NBA All-Star, averaged over 20 points a game. Kiki, his name came from the fact that his hair was wavy, and they used, it's German word, Kiki. It was the brush that he used to brush his curly hair. One time I wrote Kiki a letter. I was probably 10 years old, and I wrote a letter to him and sent it to the Blazers' office, and several months later they sent me back a signed picture of Kiki Vandeweghe. Here's the thing. I know a lot of stuff about Kiki Vandeweghe. I know a lot of his stats and his story and his nicknames and his details. I've never met him. I don't know him. I have, I have like a, a one-way faux intimacy called fandom where I can rattle off a lot about him, but I have no experiential relationship with him. And so as much as I could continue to rattle off verses and names and breakdowns of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I'm not here tonight to make you a Holy Spirit fan. The offer of God through me tonight to you is for you to experience the Holy Spirit of God for yourself. There is no one in the room tonight that doesn't have an open invitation from the Holy Spirit to know and experience Him, not just from a distance or not just academically, but from the depth of your being and soul. But here's what I have found, and I know I'm one who has struggled with this in my, my life of following Jesus, that many times, like others that I've talked to, many people feel disconnected from the Holy Spirit or not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit or feel at odds with the Holy Spirit or feel like some sort of Holy Spirit failure, like they're not doing it right. And this can happen when the Holy Spirit gets reduced down to one particular gift. And I experienced that when I was in high school. And I went forward at one particular church service where they were inviting people to pray in tongues and it didn't happen. And the guy who was praying with me said, I can fix that for you as though I were broken, needing to be fixed. And it didn't happen, and I felt really broken. And this happens when the Holy Spirit gets reduced down to a feeling, and then when the feelings aren't there, we feel like God, the Spirit, has left us. And this happens when we only count the extraordinary things, like the miracles and the healings and the burning bushes, and we overlook all the small graces and the way that the Spirit is at work in your life today. This happens when we only count the public expressions and we miss the private encounters with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead assigned to dwell in you so that you can become fully human and participate in the life of God. Jesus says, you know him. And he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. And he plays a central role in any theory of change in your life. 
And man, I just want us to know and sense God's invitation by his spirit to us. Not just that we could rattle off the verses and the titles or the way in which the Holy Spirit shows up on a page, but that we see how he shows up in our lives. A couple things, maybe practically. Here's what I'm praying for for me. Here's what I'm praying for for us. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I am praying for a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit. I tend to mislabel the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that God is always present? Do you realize that God is always with and within us? Do you believe that God is always at work? Like, if those things are true, I think that's, I can make a biblical case for those things, that God is present with us, that he is always with us, and through the work of Jesus now within us, and that he is always at work, always at work, always present. then maybe some of the great work that needs to be done and cultivated is a greater awareness of that. God, where are you at work? What are you doing, Holy Spirit? Where have you been present? And I, I just haven't paid attention. Open my eyes, open my ears. So not only a greater awareness of the Spirit, but also a greater surrender to the Spirit in the sense of, again, we don't control God I would love to control God. There's a reason why Jesus talks about the spirit and the wind. It's the same word. Don't control the wind. I can't control the wind. You don't control the spirit. And yet there's an invitation for us to participate with God in his spirit. To put ourselves in a position and a posture to experience the spirit of God in us through us, around us. And then also a greater patience with the Spirit. That we would have eyes and ears for the slow, strong work of God. The Holy Spirit is a beautiful gift. May we have a curiosity to see to pay attention to, to have awareness of, to have surrender. And the language in the New Testament is that we would walk in the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and trust that he's going to be committed to this work for the long haul in our journey. So as we end this time today, Maybe jot these down. Uh, I'll leave them up here. I'm just going to give us 30 seconds to a minute. Let me ask these questions. Holy Spirit, where are you at work that I need to be aware of? Holy Spirit, what do I need to give up to more fully surrender to you? Where am I trying to control you or control things? What does it look like for me to have open hands to you? Holy Spirit, how have I grown impatient with your slow, strong work? Our helper, if he's our helper, uh, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me with this. I need help. Spirit, here. 
going to give us a few moments to be still and quiet before the Spirit of God tonight. Several hundred years ago, St. Augustine prayed, Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.